In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Doing Good. Today on the podcast, I'm happy to welcome Stephen Human. Stephen spent his childhood recording stories into his sister's tape deck. For those of you that don't know what that is, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Back in the olden days, we had tapes that we would record things off the radio and, you know, like little cassette tapes. People don't even know what that is right now until she took it away in a huff. But even so, he wouldn't be stopped. Stephen worked for 15 years as a writer and director in the television industry. And then he left it all behind to become a full-time novelist with a wife and six kids. Seriously, <laughs> it may sound crazy, but that's who you're dealing with here. He's since written and published seven full-length contemporary science fiction books and two novellas while helping business founders and CEOs tell their own inspiring stories and publish them as well. He collects comic books and action figures and has a very impressive collection. And I can vouch for that because what you guys can't see right now is this wall of action figures behind Steven. Like in like, are they glass cases or like the protective, like plastic? Like these are legit. These aren't, are these like the ones on Seinfeld? Like you don't play with them. They're just to look at. No, I, Generally, like if my kids want to play with them, I'll let them okay. uh, as long as they're not as long as they're easy to get out because they are there's a lot of them in there. And so yes. if they're easy for me to get out, I'll let them play. But if it's going to knock over a whole shelf, I'll be like, hey, pick a different one oh. <laughs> just for my own sanity of not having to go through and put them all back up. Yes. Well, and it looks like they're arranged in like in like the Marvel section. Then it's look like you got like a DC comic book section. Like you, ha they're all like, I can see like the Hulk and Spider-Man. I mean, I, I can't even tell you like, but how many would you say you have? Oh God, I don't even know. Hundreds. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, when you look closely, it's like, okay, there's a lot. That is awesome. Steven, to finish up your bio, it says you worked in TV and have done pretty much every outdoor adventure you can possibly imagine. So skydiving included. Yep. Multiple times. Amazing. You are also an artist and love drawing comics and designing book covers as well. So Steven, I'm so glad that you joined us today. Welcome to doing good. Well, thank you so much. It is wonderful to be here. It is wonderful to be here. And this was a reschedule. We had you on a couple days ago and technology, my stuff wasn't working. So I'm like, you have to be just as excited and just as happy a few days later to come on my podcast <laughs> and bring the energy. Because I was so excited to talk with you when Mark told me that you were going to be on the show. I just thought, oh my gosh, I have four boys. They're all into, I mean, all the novels you can think like the Harry Potter and like Fable Haven and Michael Vay and I mean all Percy Jackson, like all the stuff. So I want to know about your novels, but first of all, have you always been into science fiction and it, it you always loved obviously coming up with your own stories, stealing your sister's tape recorder to do it. What gave you the courage to walk away from a career to actually be like, okay, this isn't just like a passion or hobby or something fun. I'm going to do this like full time. That is hard. That takes a lot of guts to do. It, it, it was tough. Basically, so I had worked in television for 15 years and I ran the production company. So we produced several different television shows. The primary one was At Your Leisure, which is on ABC. It's all outdoor adventure. Oh yeah, so my I, husband watches that all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I was on camera for years. I did basically everything you can imagine. It was so yeah. much fun. But as we, you know, kind of came to the end of what would be the end, I just felt like the, the company wasn't moving in the right direction and that I just wasn't in the right place anymore. And I didn't know what that what that other place would be. I just kind of was thinking about it. And my wife, ever since we were first together, before we were even married, she was always like, your writing is is what's going to be the thing in our life, I think, you know, because really? you're such a good writer. Because I always so saw that right off the bat. She really did. And I had a passion for it, you know, and for telling stories, because when I was a kid, I would do it. And, you know, I, I, I was just a storyteller. That's all there was to it. And she saw that. But for me, I grew up in a family where it wasn't it wasn't an entrepreneurial family. It was a very just traditional, you know, you go get a job. Yeah. And so I kind of had in my mind, well, you can't make money doing any of that stuff. 
And I had never done any research to the contrary. It was just, oh, you you don't do that. You don't follow your dreams to be an artist because that's just, you know, you're going to, you're going to end up living in a shack and be the, the 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 quintessential struggling artist. I was just going to say that phrase. It, it's a phrase for a reason, like musical, whether it's, you know, printed, photography, writing, like it's just, you know, art and paintbrush. I mean, it's just, it, it is struggling artists. It's like, you can be super, super talented. It's just hard to break through and make money off of it. It's true. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of has become the perception and so a lot of people don't go after it when, yeah. yeah, when in fact you can, and it's actually, yeah. I mean, just like, it's just like starting any business, it's difficult you know, yeah. to, to get your feet under you. But once you do, it's like, yeah, you can make plenty of money being an artist, being a writer. So anyway, we were, we were in that place and I wasn't sure if I was going to leave my job or not. And I wasn't sure what that even was going to look like. So one night I was just kind of complaining and my wife had been reading in a book and it talked about, if you're running into like a wall in your life, it's one of three things. It's either a test, a trial, or a trap. So a test is a problem that needs to be solved. A trial is something that must be endured, but will end. And a trap is obviously something you need to escape. And she asked me, what is your job? What are those three things is your job? And I did not want to answer. I was like, I don't want to have this conversation right now. No. You know? Yeah. I didn't want to. Don't ask me though. Don't make me search inside my soul. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was like, I just want to, I just want to vomit right now. My yeah. frustrations. <laughs> well, that night I had a dream that I walked up to three doors and one of the doors lit up, a light bulb above it lit up. And I knew what that door represented. That it represented how did you track. know? I just did. You know how in a dream you just know stuff? Like yeah, it yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you'll run into somebody and in the dream, like when you are thinking about it, it's like, it doesn't look like that person, but you knew, oh, that was my dad, but it didn't look like my dad, you yes. know? Yes. I just knew what it what it represented, that it represented a trap. Yeah. And so I realized that I needed to quit. And from there we decided, okay, well, what if we could make this writing thing viable? What would it look like? So we started doing research and we decided that was going to be it. So we took the leap and did what every business owner does, where you start with nothing and you're racking up debt and you're just trying to survive. And then over time you start to figure things out and you, you fail and then you learn from that failure and you don't give up. And, and there were times where I was just like, man, this is so much more difficult than just having a job. I should just quit and go get a job. Sure. And for whatever reason I didn't, like, I can't tell you why I didn't, I just didn't. And then eventually you wake up one day and you're like, oh, okay, I guess things are kind of working out now. So, so what was that time frame Like from the time that you quit to the time where you're like, oh, this is lucrative now, because sometimes you feel like, is this the wrong door I went? Like, at what point do you say, okay, I really should get a job, it's not working. Like, how long was that process for you? So everybody told me it was gonna be three years. And, oh, okay. and to be cliched, it was three years. Like, it took three years before, like, cause you, we went to a point where it was like, okay, now we're, we're making some money. And then it went to, okay, well now we're breaking even. Yeah. And now we're, we're, we're bringing in a little bit more than we need to where it's like, okay, well now we're able to say, we're able to do what we were doing and more from when, before I had my job. Awesome. And, oh, so that's, that's so it cool. just, and it just takes that time. And, and like everyone I talk about, that's going to do it. I'm always like, okay, if you're, if you're going to do it, you need to realize that, yeah, you've got the next few years are probably going to be pretty rough and they're going to yeah. be hard and you're going to doubt yourself. Just accept that. But as long as you don't give up, you will eventually figure it out. You'll find your niche and you'll be able to be in the right place and you'll be able to make it work. And so that's that's what happened to us where it was like, okay, well, I guess this is working now. Wonderful. I'll keep writing and doing what I like. You know what? That's so inspiring because I think it's that intimidation factor of how long is this going to take me? Is this going to be like a dream I'm forever chasing? And if you kind of have that, like, this is going to be hard for three years, you can do anything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I put my husband through his master's program and like he was in the bishopric for three years. He was young men. Like, it's like, okay, you can kind of do anything for two or three years. Like that seems manageable and doable. And then after that, if you're, if it still isn't working, then you can kind of pivot and do something else. But mm-hmm. that sort of helps to have that time frame in mind of that's what it takes to build a successful business or be an entrepreneur and do something on your own instead of like this may be a never-ending pursuit 
that I'm doing? How did you know that things were picking up and working out for you? Had you met with previous authors? Like, and were you like, yeah, writing is what I want to do no matter what. I have so many questions about this. Let's start with, first of all, <laughs> what was my first question? My mind's going like, a oh, so, so yes. Yeah, so I, I, I know a lot of authors you and know I know famous of authors. authors and okay. the thing that, that kind of that I, that I learned now that I, I wish I had known originally is that what works for one person will not necessarily work for you. Sure. And so the more that you can understand that, okay, I'm going to try some things and I'm going to test and then I'm going to adapt. Yeah the better off you're going to be. Because at the beginning, I was like, oh, well, this worked for this person. This is what I'm going to try. And when it didn't work, I'd be like, oh, well, what's going on? Yeah. As opposed to getting to the point where, I, I don't know, like in the journey, I just matured and I realized, okay, even now, what worked six months ago might not work in six months. Yeah. So I need to be looking and moving and, and able to just kind of pivot and realize that opportunities are going to pop up. And then obviously, you know, you take prayer into account and you you kind of have that perspective of, okay, I want certain things. I want to be able to work from home with my with my family. I want to be able to enjoy that time and have the freedom that we all want to be able to have and paying the bills while doing something that I like. Okay, those are the things that I want. I don't necessarily know like exactly how that's all going to come about because yeah. if I put, if I, if I nail it down too hard, then I'm leaving myself I'm closing myself off to opportunities. Yeah. And so I got to the point where I was very open about, okay, you know, these are the parameters that I want. And so I'm going to be open to opportunities that are going to allow those things to happen. And sometimes it's going to be one thing and sometimes it's going to be another that's going to allow me to make all this work. And so once I figured that out, it became much more, just less stressful, honestly. Yeah. And that was and that was wonderful. So yeah, so I I talked to a lot of authors. I got to the point where I realized, okay, I've got to I've got to shift things a little bit, or I've got to do something that is will work for me that might not work for anybody else, and just kind of figure that out. And then once I did that, things started to solidify, and then it's like, okay, I've I've got at least this portion of it figured out, and let's keep moving. And so you knew when you when when you were looking at the doors and the light went on, you're like, okay, it's writing. Did you know that? Like, it's I want to write. I don't know if I knew that it would work. I just knew that's what I wanted. That's what you wanted. <laughs> because I had, like, I had written screenplays and produced those and done all sorts of stuff. And when I decided to do my first novel, I really got into it. And I had been reading an article from a Stephen King and J.R.R. Martin had done a joint appearance at a convention, at a fantasy convention. And this had to have been six or seven years ago. It was a couple of years before I, I made my leap. And they were on stage together. And George R. R. Martin asked Stephen King how in the heck he wrote so fast. Yeah. Because everybody knows George R. R. Martin, he it takes him forever. He agonizes over every sentence. Yes. And Stephen King writes very, very quickly. Oh, I've heard he can knock them out in oh, yeah. like an insane amount. Of yeah, yeah, he does. And, and Stephen King said, well, I work for about four hours a day on my writing. And that's about all you can do. And, and I don't stress out too much about it. You know, I've got editors and things. And when I when I read that, I was like, you know, that sounds like a pretty good life. That sounds pretty yeah. awesome. I would I would love to make that a reality. You know, that would that would be great. And I realized that I was very much like Stephen King in that writing was not a stressful thing for me. Oh. I was able to write pretty fast. And so if I'm only working on my own, I mean, even, no matter whose thing, whether I'm whether I'm writing a story for a, a CEO, you know, their their inspirational story and helping them get that out into the world, or if I'm writing my own, I can do between four thousand and five thousand words a day, which is a lot. <laughs> that um, is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, and I have you know because at this point. I'm very experienced at it. Yeah. But if, yeah, if I'm in the zone, I can just, I can, I can put those words on the paper with nobody's business and not everybody can do that. And so it's, no. it's been wonderful to be able to, to have that. And even though, honestly, I only type with these four fingers with, with, <laughs> I cannot type full handed. I just Are can't. You serious? You type with four fingers. I type with four fingers. Like a T-Rex. Uh, and even that is pretty impressive for me because a few years ago it was two. Why fast and I can type really fast, yeah. But I can't. I'm not a full hand typer. I just I. Why? I remember having in junior high, I took the classes, and for whatever reason, I don't know if my brain or if I just wasn't dedicated enough. But yeah, 
I'm a four finger typist. That is, um, I can't even imagine doing that. That would take so long <laughs> to do. Oh, that'd be fun to see. You should yeah. like post that on Instagram. Of you doing yeah, I can, I can I just pull it up. Yep. That is, so tell me about your first novel. Was it the first one that got published? Like, or was your first novel like, okay, that was good experience. Now let's get better. So luckily for me, I wasn't starting from scratch. Like a lot of authors that I talk to and that I work with, they're starting from scratch and yeah. they don't have any real experience at all. And so they're just, you know, throwing words on the paper. I had written a lot of screenplays and had won awards for that and had done that for, you know, 15 years. I'd written for the show and I'd done all of that stuff. And so I knew that I was good. I didn't have that sort of like fear because I'd won so many awards. It's like, okay, I know how to write. That's, yeah. that, that's not a problem. But I didn't know how to write a novel because they're yeah. very different. A, a screenplay and a novel are two different animals. So I had to learn how to do that. I had to I had to join critique groups and I had to go and learn and get, and get heavy critiques that just beat you down to so that I could learn how to do it. And so that first book was really going through and just learning all of that stuff. And I was already really good at pacing because most screenwriters are. And so I, I was able to have that book paced out really nicely. So when it came time to like send it to my to my professional editor and get all that stuff taken care of, and when she came back and was like, oh, wow, you know, you've come a long way. This is amazing. I knew I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to just run with this book. You know, I'll, yeah. found my, I'll found my publishing company and this will be the, the, the flagship title to start out. And then we'll go from there. And so that's, that's like kind of how it started. And there's a lot of people who are fans who still, that book is their favorite book that I've done. What is that um, one called? It's called Paper Heroes. Paper Heroes. And, and it was an idea that I had for a really long time, which is generally how people get into writing, is that they yeah. have an idea that just won't leave their brain. Yeah. And so as a kid, obviously, I got into comic books. Uh, before it was cool, I like pointing that out. I was the, back in the day, I was the, the geeky kid who <laughs> was not cool to be found in the comic book store. And I actually had, when I was 13 years old, I had a job at the comic book store. I worked no there way. every day. And so I got into comic books. I always liked that type of storytelling, the, the, the world outside your window, you know, where it's, it looks right, but then things happen that just aren't right. You yeah. know, like Twilight Zone. I loved Twilight yeah. Zone. Before. And so that's where I kind of focus on is that it's our world and then something happens, something twists. Cool. And so with, with that one, I just had the idea from, I think was the first or second year when my wife and I were, were together where someone, I'd met a guy, he wanted to, to do a comic book. And he's like, I want to, I want to do this comic book where there are these superheroes and they're all being bankrolled by this one guy. And he's got heroes and villains all working together. And then he turns out to be a bad guy. Oh, that would be cool. And I was like, well, what are you going to, and so I, I talked to him and stuff and I was like, well, I don't think that that's a comic book. You know, it doesn't sound like a comic book to me. Yeah. And he never ended up doing anything. And, and so I started taking that idea as a base and being like, you know, that, how would that look in a movie form? Oh, cool. And so I wrote a full screenplay for it, but it was an it would have been an incredibly expensive movie. And so that's why I was like, well, what if I did it as a novel? And so that's where the, the initial thing came from. And the novel ended up being almost completely different <laughs> from the screenplay no once way. I got into it. But yeah, so that's kind of how how it evolved. So it's got some superhero elements to it, but it's very real world because that's where my brain inhabits. I don't like... I like stories that are incredibly grounded. And okay. so I wanted to to really ask hard questions. And since I like Twilight Zone so much, and Twilight Zone was really good sci-fi in that it was always kind of about more than what it was pretending to be about. Yes. And so I like that. And so Paper Heroes kind of became a midlife crisis in Extreme. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. And so that kind of became the, the, the baseline for, okay, here's the thematic elements that I'm going for. So that's that's where it all kind of came from and where it is now. What genre do you typically write an age group? So generally they're, I, I consider them adult, but they're more like PG 13, basically. Like if you like okay. Marvel movies, that's where I inhabit. Okay. So cool. you're not going to find anything in my books that you wouldn't find in a Marvel movie. It's okay. all pretty straightforward. Um, sometimes there's a little bit of language, but I've, it's funny how as a writer you evolve and sometimes you start out in one way and you evolve into other things. Like in my, 
in my current novel that I'm writing for the series that I'm working on right now, which is my favorite, <laughs> there's almost no language, no bad language at all. And I'm always kind of like, because I appreciate really good dialogue. I appreciate yeah. realistic dialogue. But for some reason, it just that sort of stuff, you kind of evolve and I've, and I've evolved in that way. So it's very interesting when I actually look deeply at it, about the, how I've changed over the last five years when it comes to creating my art. And do you know what's interesting when you say that is, and I found as a songwriter, songs kind of write themselves. And when it's a good song, you don't, you don't have to try really hard. It comes out and maybe there's a few parts, bridges or whatever, some chords that you change here and there that you get stuck on. But for the most part, when it's right, it kind of comes out and it flows and it's like, it comes through you. And I've heard that with writing too, writing books. It's like, well, this character wanted to say that. And you're like, you're so weird. You made that character. And the <laughs> authors are like, but no, it's like they take on a life of their own. And it's like, well, this isn't something that they would say. And this is something they would say. And it's like these characters, even though they come from your brain, become real and like friends. Have you found that that's the case too? Yeah, very much so. Because you sometimes you have a plan in place and you say, okay, and that's how I write. So I, I actually do a, a breakdown of everything chapter by chapter when I before I start a book with more or less what I plan on having happen in that chapter because then okay. it allows me to every day becomes an easier writing experience for me yeah. because I don't have to think about what comes next. I know what comes next. Yeah. But they, they start out very much the same and then they kind of skew off. And part of that is because as you get into it, things just naturally want to take their own course and characters naturally want to do something. And I'll have my critique groups and stuff. They'll, re they'll read my stuff sometimes. And if I'm trying to generally, I'm really good at this where it's just, it flows really nicely. Yeah. Sometimes you'll have something where you're like, well, for the plot, I need the character to do this. And oftentimes the critique group will do like, dude, this doesn't feel like what the character would do. Oh, interesting. Because you've created the character and the only reason you're making them do a specific thing is because you feel that it serves the plot. Yeah. And that's where you get stories where it's like, oh, this is a plot driven story because the characters are just kind of there along for the ride as opposed to dictating where they go. And if you get in that zone and you just kind of allow the character to make the logical choices that you then know the character would make. Yeah. Really cool things happen and they'll they'll surprise you. And sometimes you'll get to a point where you're writing and you're like, oh. The next thing that happens is something really bad for my character. And I don't want that to happen, but that's what has to happen. So I've, I've got to let it happen. Oh, that's so interesting. So would you say that your books are more character driven than plot driven? Is that kind of a better way to write is when the characters are making the call and then the plot kind of follows along with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously you have your plot, you know, you, you've got to hit your certain points and, yeah. and you, you know, the, you know, the character evolution and all that sort yeah. of stuff. But you've got to focus on the characters because the, the characters are the impetus for why somebody is reading. You know, sure. you don't, you don't, you, people didn't get into like, let's say like the Hunger Games or something. You don't get yeah. into that because of the world. The world is cool. You get into it because of Katniss. Yeah. Like Harry Potter books. Yes, it's cool that there's wizards, but you want to follow Harry, Ron, and Hermione on their adventure. Sure. Yeah. And so the more that you can get in and say, okay, the character is the reason these things are happening. And obviously sometimes stuff outside of their control is going to happen. And as long as it fits in with who they are, they respond to it in a natural way. Then, then you can throw things their way. Obviously, you know, like in, in one of my books, aliens show up and that's the impetus for what happens to the main character. Oh. And so then you're like, okay, well, how would he respond to this moment? And yeah. that's where you get it so that it doesn't feel plot driven. Because yeah. he's responding. Would he run away? It's like he's the hero of the book, but he runs away. Okay, oh. well, that's really interesting. So then how do we play with that? Because you, if he's the hero of the book, you'd be like, well, he's got to take charge. He's got to do this. And it's like, but as a character, he's not going to do that. He needs to build up to that. And that's yeah. his character arc. Is Ooh, being able so to cool. build up to the fact that, okay, now I can stay and do something that is hard for me. Because earlier in the book, all I did was was run away from everything that scared me. And yeah. so it's, it's that sort of stuff of just going like, I can force the character or I can just let the character make the decisions. And it always turns out better when you let the character be who your brain, your creativity, the spirit, all of that wants it to be. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, so you've written seven books and two novellas, right? Yes. So you said yourself, 
you own your own publishing company or you're self-published. Tell me about that. So yeah, so I started my own publishing company because I realized after talking to lots and lots of authors that going through a, a stand like the big five publishing houses, yeah, being published to them is almost impossible. And it doesn't come down to how good your work is either. It comes down to a, tons of factors that are out of your control. And then I found out that 99% of the authors out there that are published really don't make very much money. They still have full-time jobs and they have all that stuff. And that was, I was like, well, why am I, why would I then have two jobs, you know, right. where, I've, where I've got my full-time job and then I'm writing every night for four hours. It's like, right. that does not sound yeah. like the life that I want. Right. So by talking to a lot of independent authors, I found that yes, it's a lot of work and you've got to figure out a lot of stuff and you have to be a full on business where it's not just, Hey, I'm a creative. It's I'm a creative on the marketing and I'm doing all these things. Yeah. But I figured that if I could do that, then I would have control over a lot more of whether I succeeded or failed. Like I was talking to an author, Jay Scott Savage one time, and he talked about how he put this book out and they sent the book to like the like harshest critics in the country. Like they were just, it was this critic house and, and they gave it an absolute A plus glowing review. And he's like, and the book tanked. Not because it wasn't a great book, because obviously it was. It was because the publishing house had blown their ad budget on another book. No so way. they spent zero money promoting my book, and so the book tanked. <gasps> oh, how frustrating. So, right? like, and so I was like, well, if my book tanks because it's bad, well, that's on me. Uh -huh. But if it, if it tanks because I just didn't put in enough work and put money toward advertising and all that stuff, well, then that's also on me. So I can, I can take that, that on. And so that was the yes. route that I decided to go. And it's worked out pretty well. I've enjoyed doing that and going to conventions and meeting people and, yeah. you know, and figuring out, you know, ad platforms and yeah. learning that. And then beginning a, a part of author groups that are all business people that are looking at it as, yes, we're creatives over here, but we're also entrepreneurs over here. And we've got to look at the bottom line and all that stuff. And that just always kind of clicked with me where, I never saw myself as the tortured artist. For me, telling stories is really easy, which is probably angers a lot of people, but it really yeah. is. It's not, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to sit around thinking of ideas. I can really get stuff down. Yeah. And it's more of the time, you know, to, to do all of it. But, sure. you know, I, 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 I really clicked with the sort of business side of it, of understanding that it was a business first. Yeah. And that I needed to treat it like a business from moment one yeah. to make sure that everything happened the way that I wanted it to happen. Do you have other authors on your publishing label? I don't. What I do, I work with a lot of authors and I work with a lot of businesses who are like, you know, like the CEO and the founder who are like, I need to tell my story. Yeah. I'm either to help my business or just because it needs to be told and I want to do a book. And so I'll ghostwrite and help them through an interview process, a big, long process. And then I always tell them, I, you can go through my publishing house, but it's easier if I just create one for you. Oh. And then that way you don't have to pay me any extra fees or anything to get your books to you. I can, I, I can set you up. And so that's kind of how I prefer to do it because with Amazon, it's so easy to set those things up and that it allows people to not have to be beholden to me right. forever after to be able to use it for their business. And so right. that's kind of how I prefer to do it. But I do allow them that option where it's like, if you want to go through my publishing house, you'll get my publishing house logo on it. But at the end of the day, all that's going to do is cost you more money. So why don't we hook you up? That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that, and that I bet they're so grateful for that. And then for those that are listening, they're like, okay, awesome. I'll set up my own publishing company. What about distribution? So that you're in charge of. <laughs> that's the one thing is that when going through Amazon or through Ingram Sparks, through any of the, the printing things, you know, they they'll set you up digitally and they'll put it out there. The problem is, is that there are millions of books. Yeah. And because it's so easy, most of those books are not good. And yeah. So a, you've got to make sure that everything is professional, that they're professionally yes. edited, that they're professionally screened, so yes. that you have a the confidence that it's good, that it's worthwhile, right. but that you you can say, okay, I can stand up against the pros because it needs to be that level. People are used to yeah. that level. Yes. And then you have to understand that you're then in charge of the other side. So I can get a thousand books printed today if I wanted of a specific one of my novels, and I'll have a thousand books stacked up in my office or in the garage or wherever. But at that point, it's up to me 
on how those then get distributed. Yeah. Um, how am I going to go out and get these in front of people? Am I going to go to conventions? Am I going to start advertising on Facebook and then distributing directly through myself and signing each book? Yes. Um, what does that look like? What are the logistics? What are the costs? That's really kind of where you've got to be in making this work is going through and realizing that it's not all pie in the sky. And sometimes things aren't going to, you may think, oh, this is going to be the best thing ever. And then you're going to get beaten down pretty hard. And yeah. that's good because failure is good. You've got to go through that failure cycle. Yes. And as long as you learn from that failure, then it's not a failure. It's just yes. a bump in the road. So that's when it comes to distributing. You can then go through libraries and you can go through bookstores. But I found that like all of that stuff is a bit like going through bookstores, unless I've got a hundred thousand copies of a book, which I don't have, yes. you know, I'm not going to be able to really make any money at that scale unless I'm at that huge scale. If I work out a deal with, you know, Barnes and Noble or something, well, they're going to want a hundred thousand to a million books. And my profit margins on those are going to be so small yes. that it's almost not really worth the effort. So I, I just keep it on a, a smaller scale. And that works out really well, you know, when you're going to conventions and you're doing things through Facebook where you're selling books and you're mailing them out and you've got packages, you know, where I've got books where people will buy all, all seven of them or, or whatever. And so yeah. you got to look at it from, from that perspective, but yeah, you're in charge of all of that. Nobody else is going to take care of it for you. You got to do it. And so have you found that your most successful selling online, like through something like Amazon or your own website and not even like I was, I went to Barnes and Noble for Easter to pick out a few things for my boys. And I love book. I mean, I love, I love libraries. I love bookstores. I love the smell. I love the feel. I love everything about them. But if I'm going to, if I want a book for myself, it's Amazon or a website all the way. And, and I listen to a lot of books and I, and I read through Kindle, most of my books, like rarely do I go buy except for my kids and for my kids, I buy them all their books. And then for me, I'm like, I'm listening on audible or I'm reading on Kindle. It's just easier. Cause I want it now. I don't want to go to the store, like download it to my device and that's good. So do you have an opportunity to do that? Have you re voice recorded any of your books or do you have the ability to go straight to Kindle for the books that you've written? So I do. So when I first started out, I realized that because of my connection to television, I had resources that other people didn't have. I mean, first of all, I had done voiceovers for years, so I knew I could record my own books. Yeah. And that it would be, instead of just some guy reading, it would be a full-on performance because I knew yes. how to do that. Which is so important because don't you hate it when you download a book and they're like, and then she went and, she, and you're like, why yeah, would where, it like that? Or yeah, where that? It sounds like it's being read. That's the word. Yes, it, it is. It is a performance and most people don't understand that. That's why really good voiceover artists could pay a lot of money because- yeah. It is a performance and they get that. So I knew I could do that. So for all of my books, I've done audiobooks for because I have and I have my own studio here at my house. And so I can record my own. And so I knew that, okay, where normally somebody's gonna pay five to ten thousand dollars for an audiobook to get done. Well, mine's gonna be, you know, four or five days in the recording studio and that's it. And then I'm yeah. gonna edit it myself because again, I know how to do all that stuff. Yeah. So I was I was lucky when it came to diving in. So I do have audiobooks and then awesome. what I learned is that I joined this group of authors that was started by, his name is Steve Piper, and he writes under the name of Lars Emmerich. He writes thriller novels. He was a fighter pilot and worked with the CIA and stuff. And then oh, cool. was like, well, I always wanted to, to be a novelist. And so he was a numbers guy. He was a statistician. He had that kind of brain. And so he started this, wow. this group and learned how to make basically Facebook ads profitable for authors because margins for the most part with authors are pretty slim. And so yeah. if you're spending all that on advertising, you don't make any money. And obviously yeah. if you're a business, you got to make money. Right. And so he developed this system where it was like, okay, you don't, you, you sell through Amazon, you know, you put your stuff on Amazon. That's great. A lot of people like Amazon, but you sell the bulk of your stuff yourself through your website. And it taught me how to do all of that so that I was creating my own digital copies. I was using a platform that would allow people to upload that directly to their Kindle. And I was able to make 100% of the profits as opposed to losing a good a significant portion to Amazon. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. that was what ended up making all the difference was then I was like, okay, I learned how to do Facebook ads. I learned the benchmarks that needed to be met. I then would optimize the funnel pages where, where people were going to make sure that more people were getting down to where the deal was and then more people were buying, which then, you know, creates fans and email lists and all of that sort of stuff. 
And so be learning how to do that so that I understood the ad market, I understood the margins that were involved, uh, that was really, really helpful. And then I can still say, yeah, I'm on Amazon because for some reason people think that's special. It's not, <laughs> folks. Being on Amazon is not special. But people still think they're all, I'll be at convention stuff and, and they'll be like, oh, I only read digitally. Are you on Amazon? And I'll say yes. And they'll be like, really? That's awesome. And I'm like, it's not special. But, <laughs> you know, it's so you, you have them on there and people can go there, but then you can sell them yourself. And it just, it makes your business viable. Yes. Yes. Well, I want to know what your kids and your wife thought when you're like, okay, I'm going to leave everything I've been doing and I'm going to do something completely different. I know your wife was like, she's the one that kind of sparked this and was the catalyst for this whole life-changing journey that you went on to become this incredible writer and author. But what about your kids? Were they like, were they supportive or were they like, oh no, are we going to have to sell our house to pay for things? Like we have friends that literally did that same thing. They sold their home. They moved into a tiny townhouse, built this business, took like five or six years. And we're like, oh, just watch them struggle. They're multi-million dollar a family now. I mean, they traveled the world, but it was hard for a couple of years and their kids were like moved away from all their friends and whatever. So what, what did your kids think and what kind of sacrifice did they have to make to support their dad in this? I think that they were, for the most part, they were young enough that it was just kind of life. Like my oldest two, my oldest is, is currently serving a mission in New Zealand. So he was, oh, wow. I think that he was 14 when all this started. And so he, he kind of understood in my, in, in his younger sister, but the other ones were all much younger. So it was just kind wow. of like life. They're like, Oh, dad's going to be home. Cool. Yeah. He's not going to go on. He's not going to be gone every other weekend on shoots. He, yeah. you know, for them it was just really cool. And they kind of, I don't know. We, we made it so that, okay, we're going to be spending more time together as a family. We're going to make sacrifices financially and so, yeah, Christmas isn't going to be as good for a couple of years, but we're also going to be spending more time together. And so one of the things my wife was was on board for moment one, you know, she she pushed for it and believed it. And I, and I think if your spouse isn't on board, it's going to be a, a real struggle. Sure. Yeah. Um, but she believed in me from moment one. And she's the she's a financial wizard. So she's the CFO in the company. So every, oh, awesome. one of the things we decided was, OK, if we're going to do this. We need to decide now what our life looks like. Yes. And we need to start living our life right now as if we're where we want to be. And so one of the things okay. that we'd always wanted was for me to take a half day every single Friday. Oh, wow. Okay. And do an adventure with the kids. And so after, I don't know, maybe less than a year of doing it, Becky was like, my wife was like, hey, this is what we talked about. And if we want to have a certain life, we need to live it now. Like if we want to go on vacations as a family, we need to start going on vacations now. And yeah. obviously we can't afford to go to Hawaii or to, right. but we can't afford to go camping. Right. So we decided to, so we need to start making those decisions now. And so we did. And so we said, okay, every Friday afternoon, she comes down and she does the books and she runs all that stuff. And I take the kids on an adventure and we can do that because we actually homeschool our kids. Oh, Awesome. We started that, I don't know, six or seven years ago, oh. but again, because we felt drawn to it. It wasn't anything that we, we always felt they had wonderful teachers and wonderful schools and all of that stuff, but we just felt like it was right for our family. And so we yeah. let the kids choose, the oldest two, particularly the oldest three, because they were all in school and they chose. And it has been absolutely wonderful. It's awesome. been, yeah, my my son has an associate's degree before he started his, he, he wanted to go to senior year of high school. And he had his associate's degree. My daughter is going to have her bachelor's before her senior year. And so it's been. That's amazing. But it also allowed us to do some of these things. And so yeah. like Friday afternoons, I can take them on some kind of adventure. And Fine. that's been, that's another thing that I like to, to point out to people is that, okay, if you're starting your own business, yes, it's going to be hard, but you also need to look at and say, okay, what life do you actually want to live? What is that in five years? Where do you see yourself? Well, you need to start making some of those decisions now and say, okay, yeah. we want to travel. All right, well, we can't afford the, the big trips, but we can't afford small trips. So we're going to start going on small trips once a quarter. Okay, let's do that. And I want to work part, you know, half time on Fridays. Well, then you better start working part time on Fridays because if you don't, then that's never going to happen. You're going to get into a habit, into a cycle. Yep. And you'll be amazed that you're not losing out on any of the work time. You're really, really not. 
you just kind of adapt and everything still gets taken care of. Cause I was really stressed out when yeah. we decided to do that. And my wife was like, no, if this is the life we're going to have, then we need to do it. And that first few weeks I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm neglecting, I'm doing all this stuff. And then I realized, no, I'm, I'm giving my family exactly what they need. And it's not yep. the four hours that I would be putting in down in my office. It's this yep. right here. And so if you're starting on that journey, it's important to make those decisions about what life looks like and start living that life right then. And that's why do you think people are so hesitant to do that? Because it, it seems like, well, you know, yeah, we want to travel too. We want to do all these things. And then it's like, well, but in order to do that, we have to make more money in order to make more money we have to work harder. And then we can't take time off. And instead of like, nope, you can start right now. Like, what do you think holds people back from living the life they want? right now? Why are people so hesitant to be like, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to wait for my dream job for the right amount of money. Like I'm doing it right now. Why is that so hard for people to do? I think part of it is, is fear and part of it is culture. So we have a culture here in the United States that is, that is very much, you work really hard every day of the week. And then Saturday and Sunday, you've kind of got your, your days off. And that's what everybody does. Everybody is doing it. And, you know, it's like that sort of, I always hated this. So you're, you're in the office and someone's like, oh, dude, I only got four hours of sleep last night. Yeah. Well, and so then you're like, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm sleeping too much. And you realize, yeah. no, I need to just, I need to do what's right for me. And I need to get a full eight hours of sleep so I can be hundred percent. Yeah. I think that a lot of it is just stepping out and doing something different because that's, that is really, really hard because I, I think back to when we decided to make this decision and for me to quit a good job in television that everybody thought was the greatest job in the history of ever when they would see the adventures I was going on, yeah. and the people I was meeting and all of this stuff. Sure. They thought it was madness that I was going to jump ship and take on this crazy dream with a wife and six kids yep. and put everything on the line. Yep. And so and I felt that I really did. And for that first year, particularly that weighed on me a lot because oh, yeah. I was like, oh, well, if I fail, this is all my fault and everything is horrible and blah, 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 you know, all of that stuff. And so I think a lot of it is that pressure to just be, this is how things are supposed to be. And if you fail doing this, well, at least you fail in doing what everybody else failed at. Right. You know, but if you go down this track and you try something different, you do a risk and you fail, well, then it's your fault. Yeah. And that's the only difference because you're going to fail either way. That's just how life is. And so one of them, you, the, the responsibility is taken off you and one of it, it's on you. And so you just have to realize that, hey, if I'm going to do this, it's okay to take this risk. And it's okay that some people are going to like look at me weird because that's okay. Yeah. I really love that. The quote of don't interrupt the person. Don't tell, it's like, don't interrupt the person doing something by telling them that it's impossible you know, because they're the ones who are doing it right then. And that's yep. a lot of this stuff is that way. People will just think it's impossible that you're crazy or whatever. But if you just go through and say, Hey, don't interrupt me. I'm going to do it. You're going to be able to do it. I've, I've now worked with a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs in helping them to tell their stories. Yeah. And every single one of them had to go through that cycle and had to go through, Hey, I'm taking a big risk and getting to the point where they were comfortable with their own failure. And yeah. realizing that it wasn't the end and that they could move on and that taking that risk was was worth it. And so it's helped me to, to have that kind of understanding of feel free to take the risk. Do it. Because as long as you are willing to put in the effort and the time and realize that you're going to have to make changes and you're going to have to learn and you're going to be uncomfortable, things are going to turn out. They just do. That's how life works. And... The only way you really fail is if you just give up. And a lot of people do that and that's fine. But if you feel drawn to take a risk, take that risk. There's a great, one of my favorite quotes is actually from Mel Brooks. And he, when he was doing the producers, the movie, the producers, they have a scene in there where they have an actor dressed up as Hitler singing this song called Springtime for Hitler. And he was worried. He was like, I, I'm afraid that this is going to be really offensive to people. And yeah. then he thought about it and he said, you know, if I'm going to ring that bell, I'm going to ring, I'm going to ring the heck out of that bell. I'm going to ring it as loud as I can. And so I tell people, if you're going to take a risk, if you're going to ring that bell, you better ring it just as loud as you can. Go up and proudly ring it and you're going to be okay. 
I love that. It's you're so optimistic and encouraging. It's making me think about all these things I've had on the back burner. And I, I, I have the advantage. I think that my husband does have a full-time job and he does work. And so I get to be home. Now my kids are in school all day. This is the first year they've been in school all day. And I now have a lot of time to create and do things that I always thought I would when my kids were in school. And honestly, I, I have been for sure, like hesitant, like, well, but I met with these people. They weren't really, they were kind of lukewarm on that idea. And well, I really should like hone my skills more before I pitch these ideas. Like I should, I should really look like I know what I'm doing before I just go in front of people. Like I should look more professional because I don't have a bachelor's degree. I went to, you know, a year and a half at BYU, got married, became a mom, you know, typical Utah Mormon story or <laughs> member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint story, yeah. <laughs> which, I, which I don't regret at all. I have four beautiful boys and I, and I love it. And I, I teach voice lessons and do this fun podcast and, and perform at Christmas time. I do lots of fun things, but I have all these other ideas that I've thought about, but I'm like, yeah, but, and I'm 38, like who wants a mom to, you know, this old girl doing these things, but <laughs> you've been so motivating and encouraging. And I, I really think that a lot of my hesitation isn't because I don't think what I would present would be good enough, but it's, it's, it's a fear in myself and a belief in like, well, will people think that I'm not I don't know, even though I have 20 years experience in the entertainment business now, it's hard to put yourself out there, I guess, and and to to be critiqued or to, or what if it doesn't work out? And what if, but I always tell my boys, like, if you don't try, it's a no. Mm. So if you don't try, it's a no. If you do try and it's a no, you knew you tried and then you try something else. But that's hard for me to take my own advice. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's the case for all of us. Like I think about if you were to have a good friend of yours who you know is talented yeah. and they came to you and said, hey, I want to try this. You'd be like, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Go yes, for it. Go Imagine for if it. you gave yourself that same type of, of, of encouragement. Yeah. Or if you look at yourself and you just said you got 20 years of experience. Well, a lot of people don't have 20 years of experience. You have 20 years of experience. You know what's good. Yeah. And so you can look at yourself and say, you know, I am good enough to be able to stand up there with whomever and put on a show and do and show my talent off. Yeah. And if you give yourself that same encouragement, that's you're 90% of the way there. I there's a very famous comic book artist that his name is Todd McFarlane. He drew Spider-Man and very, very famous. Most people, like if they saw his art, they go, oh, I've seen that before. Yeah. He talked about, he would go to conventions today and he's obviously famous and he walks around. He's like, I see so many artists that are just amazing, but they they don't have the confidence in their own talent. And so they always stay back and they don't put their stuff out there. And so they don't succeed. And he said, I, I would look at my contemporaries when I was starting out and I knew that I was good, but I also knew I wasn't as good as them. They were amazing. Yeah. Just, but I knew that I was good. And so I knew I'm going to go out there and I'm going to accept that I'm good. Yeah. And I'm going to put my stuff in front of people and I'm going to draw. And there's going to be people who don't like it. And that's fine. They have that right. I'm not going to be for everybody. But I know I'm good and I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt. And I think that if all of us do that, if we accept the fact that we are good at something, we all are. And if we're creative and we have some experience, yeah, we're going to get critique. And that's good. Learn from the critique and you'll get better. Yeah. But you are worth going out there and putting it on the line and saying, I am good enough to stand here with everybody else. Here's my stuff. Take a look. And yeah, it feels it almost feels like you're naked because everybody can look at you and see every flaw. Yes. When you, right. yeah, when you put something out there, it's hard. Right. But if you've got the confidence, you say, okay, I'm going to get beat down a little bit, but nobody can stop me except me. And I'm good enough to stand up here. So let's stand up here and get it done. Man, you will be able to accomplish so many wonderful things. Oh, I love that. That is so motivating. Okay, Stephen, I am going to put it out there and you heard it first on this podcast. Okay. I'm going to, some of these dreams that I've had, I'm going to open some of those doors because Do I, it. I know. Do it. I know. I want, I want to, I really do. And it's, and, and I agree with you. Like, I think it's, I don't know why wait. Like I, I love, I love the idea of you're like, what kind of life do you want? Why don't you start living it now? And it's, it's, it is, it's easier to say, and you're right. If it was my husband, he's like, Oh, you know, I wonder if I should do this or maybe I could start a business on the side. I'm like, yes, go for it. 
And then when I say something, I'm like, oh, maybe not yet. Mm, I don't know why. But so this has been super motivating and encouraging for me. So I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. Do it. It'll work out for you. I have, I have no doubt. I love it. Okay. Well, if people want to read your books and because you've not only written your own, but like you said, you've been able to interview CEOs and, and presidents of companies and write their own unique, awesome stories too. Where can people go to find your work? So the best place, obviously you can do it on Amazon, but the obviously best place to do it website. <laughs> yep, is directly through me, stephenhuman.com. And it's spelled okay. just like my name. So Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-H-E-U-M-A-N-N.com. And okay. you can order my books. If you order the paperbacks on the website, they come directly from me. I've got, I have a whole distribution thing over here and I will sign the books that are, are purchased through me. Plus, if you buy through me, they're cheaper than buying them on Amazon. So there's also that. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. That is so great. And do you do speaking engagements and things like that? Of people like, I want you to come talk to my school or my business or whatever about motivation and going for your dreams and, and doing something. Do you ever do things like that? I do occasionally. Yeah. If people are interested in that, then again, they just contact me through the website Awesome. and I can, and I can do that and I'll do that occasionally. And it's, and it's wonderful because everybody, I've, I've helped people tell their stories for 20 years now, whether through television or, or through writing, sure. video, all that stuff. And everybody's story is wonderful. And the only person who doesn't realize that is themselves. Yeah. Everybody else realizes it. So if we can just get past that and realize our stories are awesome and worth telling and that we are worth being in the spotlight, yeah. man, life just totally changes. I love it. I, I love your outlook on life, Stephen, and just dream big. Go for it. Why not? We have this one chance to do it and let's just do it and see and, yeah. and how much how, how much good could we all do if we use those talents that our father in heaven gave us and, and weren't afraid of them and use it to put out good in this world. I mean, we could set this world on fire. Well, and you, you said it right there. The, the fear, what is, the, the Lord, it's not about fear. It's about faith. Yeah. And so if you put that fear aside and you have faith, in yourself and in your plan and you keep the Lord as a part of it, well then really there is nothing you can't accomplish. And if everybody were to do that, yeah, we would be, everybody would be a little bit happier and probably a lot happier. And that's, that's why we're here. I love it. I totally agree. And, and, and what's the use of having gifts and talents if we don't share them with others? So, Hey, let's do it. I'm motivated. Thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on the podcast today and for all the good you are doing. Well, thank you very much. This is an absolute pleasure. Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House, and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks, just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes, from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole whole family will enjoy truly all in one little app and you can use promo code doing good all one word at checkout and you get a full month free so check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com see you soon